so in case you were wondering, that's Jabari. Uh, my name's Jeffrey Rupp, for those of you uh, I haven't met. I work in the East Center with Eric Hill. And the reason that uh, I'm up here with Jabari is that he's been a friend of mine since my days uh, being mayor in Columbus, and he's from Columbus. And I am a, a he's a very good friend of mine, but I am, am so impressed with his story. And we thought perhaps if we just did this as a conversation, uh, it, it might flow a little better because uh, he doesn't necessarily like to speak about all that he's accomplished. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. So that's why I'm here with him. So uh, I, I, too, want to thank you for being here. Thank you, Jeffrey. And uh, thank you all for having me today. And uh, I'm looking forward to the dialogue and hope that I can add just a little value to your already bright minds. And besides the fact that, guys, before Jeffrey turned on his mic, he did tell me I was hot. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for that, too, Jeffrey. I meant his mic was hot, and he thought I was confident. Uh, so we want to establish the first, the several different types of businesses that Jabari owns, and it's quite an empire. He's got hundreds of employees, and he built this all himself. So your personal story is so compelling, but let's uh, at least give him an overview of J5 as it stands now. Okay, J5 Solutions, uh, we've actually worked to sort of rebrand the company into Solutions rather than just J5 GBL because we've made a few acquisitions and put them up on the umbrella of J5. Uh, so uh, J5 actually started out conceptually as a firm in the construction sector. I was working with my son one day and uh, uh, doing a construction project, rehab project, and we passed by some equipment and he said he wanted to learn everything about it. And uh, I had already acquired an insurance brokerage firm from Wells Fargo, but when I looked at him, I knew that that wasn't his personality to be out front selling insurance. And so for me, uh, business is about legacy. So therefore, every company that I own, it, it has a name. It has, the meaning is, is a tie to the name. So J5 was founded just by Jabari and five people in his house. My uh, insurance firm, which used to be Wells Fargo, is now the Bridge Group. And that signified uh, my partner and I at the time, Bill Laws. He was white. I was black. Uh, Columbus had very little diversity in business. And so I felt it was uh, important that the name signify the bridging of the gaps. Uh, BH Properties, which is my development property, is a, was born out of the name Bubba's Hope, which is my nonprofit. And Bubba's Hope, uh, if you look at the logo, it actually has my father's picture in there. Because uh, one of the last lessons my father taught me before he died was but for the grace of God. Never look up to any man, never look down on any man. And so, therefore, I felt it important to try to always keep his legacy alive. And so Bubba's Hope is my nonprofit, and, and BH Properties is a subsidiary of that, which does affordable housing redevelopment. And right now we're doing a, a urban redevelopment project there in Columbus now. And so... Uh, and, oh, I forgot, the last acquisition yes. was uh, North Atlantic Security. It's a security firm we bought. Uh, it's spread out over six states, and that was our last acquisition that we just closed out uh, last December 1st. So, Ballpark, how many employees? Right now we're about 350 employees spread out in seven states. So you have to carry that burden around of making that payroll every week. Every week, you know, and I, and I tell my employees, Every morning I wake up with their families on my shoulders. Every evening, every day I walk around with their families on my shoulders. Every night I go to sleep with their families on my shoulders. 
and heavy is the head that wear the crown. So every decision that I make, I make it with my employees in mind. And, and one of them is they're going to be hard times, but you still have to make sure that you pay that payroll because if you don't pay your payroll, somebody's lights going to get turned off. Somebody won't be able to pay daycare. Somebody may not be able to buy food. So, yes, you carry that burden every Friday to make sure that payroll. And granted, a couple of my companies have different pay periods, but for the most part, most of the, the people that need it the most get paid every Friday, yes. All right, so all of us in here, uh, doesn't matter what age, we are all shaped uh, by our lives up to this point. Mm -hmm. I'm the oldest guy in the room, so I've had a lot more, you know, life experiences that have shaped me, but all of us, regardless of our age, are shaped by our, our life experience. I know that you were shaped exclusively almost by, by your father, who was a very strong entrepreneur, but from a very simple background. Yes, yes. You know, and I, every day I live to make my father proud. And I tell people all the time that I can't tell my story without telling his story. And my father was the first uh, African-American elected official in Columbus. And uh, I was telling Jeffrey that actually... At the time, he was an entrepreneur, and he's all, he always had an entrepreneur spirit. But because he sued the city uh, to change the dynamic so that the black could get elected, uh, the retribution back on him uh, made growing a business in Columbus hard. But he never stopped trying. So therefore, whether it be uh, he had a rib shack, he had a cleaning service, he had a... Uh, Fencing company, uh, and when they would fall, I would learn. And the way I would learn, because he would always make sure I was by his side. And as he was going through our life, he never stopped teaching me. And he was my, my hero, my friend, my, my concierge. He was my everything. And so, in all that I do, uh, I live to make him proud and even my name. Uh, that's why I make sure that when I sign my name, I honor him because my initials actually spell his name, Joe. So, One thing from one takeaway from what you just said is that decisions that you make outside of your business can impact your business. With your father, it was suing the city to level the playing field. You experienced some of that when you supported me because I was a uh, Republican mayor. And Jabari supported me and caught some backlash business-wise oh, yeah. from that, right? I did uh, because I had, when I first got started, I started in the insurance business. And uh, insurance wasn't my first foray into entrepreneurship. I actually started my first company when I was 19 years old and playing football at Scuba. Uh, and I started my first company then. But in 2000, in early 2000, we're really 99 uh, back when uh, Jeffrey ran, I, he and I met, but I started, I established my business, and when Jeffrey ran for re-election, he actually ran against a black guy. But Jeffrey and I, our friendship had formed in such a way that I was loyal to him. Still to this day, I'm loyal to him. He's one of the only people that I still would take a bullet for. And uh, so I took out a full-page ad in support of Jeffrey Rupp, and uh Needless to say, not a smart business move. <laughs> needless to say, because at the time, where probably 90% of my business was African American business, African American customer base, I got a lot of backlash, you know, because white, Republican, you know, and I, I got calls from people, old ladies, say, you were born into a Democrat. <laughs> and so they just assumed 
that because my dad, who also was a part of that Dr. King, those Freedom Riders, they assumed that my, my political views had to be aligned with him. But the one thing that my dad always encouraged me was to be my own individual. And that lesson actually helped me in business because it, it enabled me to be willing to take the chance to stand out. You know, I've taken a lot of chances over the years and, and have done, done business all around the country, but it was all because I wasn't afraid to be different. And so I would tell anybody, you know, if you're going to be in business, know your differentiator. Know what separates you from the rest. And so. You know, one thing that's important in our conversation that we had, um, it is difficult for anyone to start a business. It is harder for minorities to start a business. It's even harder for minorities to start a business in Mississippi. And one of the things that was important to Jabari is not to be a minority firm that somebody hired just to get that little slice of the minority pie. And the actual conversation was, instead of getting the little slice of the pie, why can't you make the pie? I told Jeffrey. Jeffrey and I, a couple of guys talked to you. I remember you came to me, and a couple of guys had talked to you about me doing a traditional minority business where you go get the 8A certification and you're basically at the front. And, and uh, I actually, my vernacular wasn't as clean as Jeffrey just described it, but I did say to him, why take a piece when I can go get the whole pie? You know, and that's always been my thought process. Again, it goes back to to my upbringing and my dad telling me on the night I was born, he held me up and said, behold, the only thing greater than you. And so I've always carried that 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 sense of self-worth and that attitude and that cockiness about me that never been afraid of anything, never been afraid of anyone. And I haven't been afraid to just do it. And so, yes. Uh, yeah, and, and in business, everyone has different things that motivate them. And the one thing I know motivates you because you wrote it on your desk is uh, you walk into his office and it's, it's engraved in the desk. What is your why? So explain that. You know, and I was talking to a young man earlier, and I talk about, we talked about his drivers. What motivates you? Uh, what, what makes you get up every morning? What, what, what makes you, when, when things are hard, what is that one thing that is driving you to keep you going? And so for me, it's important that when you get in business, you know what your why is. You know, and everybody have their own why. And I was talking to a young man earlier, and he, I, I said to him, I said, well, I can already tell that money is your driver. And he automatically got defensive and said, is that a bad thing? I said, no. I said, you know, that's your driver. That's your truth. Hold on to your truth. And so for me, my why was a little different. And I told Jeffrey I would be remiss if I didn't read my why because I make sure that everybody that come to work for me understands my why. And uh, so I give them all this as part of the hire package. And it says that I started in business in January 2000 with a simple purpose of building something that would allow me to have a positive impact on the lives of others. As I traveled on this journey, the business sectors have changed while the mission has not. Theodore Roosevelt once said the best executive is the one who has the sense enough to pick good people to do what he wants done and is self-restraint enough to keep on meddling while they do it. My focus and commitment has been to surround myself with others who possess the same passion for people that has served as my source of inspiration to fuel me on this roller coaster of a journey that is labeled entrepreneurship. Projects start and stop. Money comes and goes. However, people forever 
and I, that's what, what I'm committed to doing and using business as a growth and a platform and as a tool that would always allow this organization to be committed to serving and improving the lives of others. So that's my passion. And that's my why. And that, that why has, like I told Jeffrey, that why has at times, and we talked about last year, you know, when I came in, we talked about last year. Last year was the perfect storm for me in business. Um, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And uh, we, Starting with the presidential election. Starting with the presidential election. Because, because a lot of your work is tied into to federal money, the EPA cleanups uh, of, of brownfields and things, Superfund super sites. Yes, and so you had a, a change in administration that philosophically was bad for business for you. Yeah, it, it was bad for business, but just before the mere fact from that division, it was so bad for business just because – Everything was tied to the federal budget. Everything was tied to getting sign-offs, and we call them SOWs. And so we have a change in administration, and they change uh, EPA administrators, and he changed the policies going down. Projects that should have started in February, we didn't get started until the week before Christmas. So if you can imagine having millions of dollars of projects budgeted, you having all your resources and all your manpower tied up, and they've been planning these projects, and all of a sudden they just don't happen. And then, like so, I said, so what did you do? Because you either have to dip into your personal funds, I I, or you lay people off, which would probably, some would argue, be the smarter business. Uh, uh, you know, I actually had bankers and I had other people that that I've associated with that would say, you know, you should probably lay people off. But again, like I said, my why, my commitment, my passion, and everything I do should be bigger than me, and it should be bigger than you. And so I was actually talking to the president of my company, uh, I told Jeffrey, a couple of weeks ago, and he came into my office and he sat down to my right like he normally does. And he said, do you know how much you put into this company to keep it going last year? And I said, no. And I said, I know it put in. But he said, you put $1.1 million into this company to keep everybody else like Bill paid. And, uh, you know, never taking anything out for myself to take home. I just kept putting it in and putting it in. And I thank God for my wife, you know, because my wife, she is my champion, my rock. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for her, my father, her, and, and God, you know, because my wife has been understanding of, of my moves, understanding of, of, you know, my attitude sometime, understanding of my schedule sometime. She's never hounded me, and she's always been supportive. And, and so had it not been for my rock, I don't know how I would have made it through because at a time when most people would have said, okay, you don't need to be taking money from home. It'd be one thing if you put it in a project that you're going to see something back, but when you're actually putting it in payroll, it's difficult. But it was a choice I made. It was a choice that I I stand by and choice I live with because I feel like, and as I told Jeffrey, in going through that, I think I became better as a leader, uh, as a person, but even more so, I think I became better as a business person because uh, we got leaner. We got better. We got more efficient in those times, and and actually it made you looking. It made me look in the mirror some, uh, you know, to to make sure that I was doing things in the best way possible for the business, to make sure I was doing things in the best way possible for the long term growth. Because one of the things that I found, and I've seen a lot of businesses, like I said, I've done business all over the country and, and made a lot of friends and relationships in business, and and they have these big years. And uh, you look up a few years down the line, and they're, they're out of business. They're going to work for somebody doing something else. And so when you look at that instant viability and that, that instant gratification, 
You know, they didn't they, they built it where there was these extreme peaks and valleys rather than that just, you know, that subtle taking off like a plane. And, and so that's why when you're going through it and you make that decision and you're making a decision, you're doing it for the long haul. So because for me, it was all about building a legacy and building something that long after I'm gone, uh, this organization will still be in place. It will still be employing people. It will still be creating scholarships. And it will still serve as, and, and let's, let's face it, it will serve as an inspiration to the young black kids that are growing up in neighborhoods like I grew up in, uh, a place called Sandfield where right now if you go down there, most of the people that are still left in Sandfield are there because they can't go anywhere. And so when kids see me, they'll see somebody. If I can come out of Sandfield, and make it. You can too. Because one of the things that, that to start my story that, that Jeffrey said how tough it is, not just as an African American, but at the time I was a single parent when I first got started. I was a single parent with two kids, no money, no credit. And, uh, Jewel and I had started going together, but you remember we hadn't got married yet. And, uh, so it was me and it was, uh, it was dream and it was, it was self-belief. And in doing this, I, I had prepared myself mentally that, you know, I was going into a battle. You know, I never thought it was going to be easy because I, I didn't have any delusions of grandeur. You know, I didn't think that I can do a business plan and just go to a bank and they would give me a loan. I remember I had been in business four years before I got my first loan and they made me put my house up for collateral. I had like 70000 in equity. They made me put it up for collateral on a $5,000 loan. So I, I, I knew that I wasn't going up any crystal stairs, but I was prepared to climb up the mountain. And so for me, uh, I heard a young man say today he broke it down in the simplest format about entrepreneurship is, is problem solving. That is what it is, probably magnified by 100. You're going to have problems, but it's how you react to those problems that, that actually helped you to make it through. And I know we have a, at least a couple people from Columbus that are familiar with Sandfield. Uh, you know, a classic shotgun house, poor neighborhood. Now, you came from there, and you're an example because you've had great success, but that's not enough. So tell them about the project you're doing now in Sandville, what your goal is there. Right now, matter of fact, we just had our community meeting, and we had uh, Thomas Gregory from Mississippi State, Carl Small Town Center. He's doing the planning, master planning. But I was actually, I was at my dad's grave one day because I buried him in Sandville, and, and, and I heard a voice telling me to turn around. And I turned around, I looked, and I saw these rundown shotgun houses. I saw people sitting out. It was early in the morning. I saw people sitting there had pulled up dining room tables out on the little front, uh, you can't call it a lawn, but you call it a, the front yard. And they were sitting there, it was early in the morning, they were sitting there getting drunk. And I heard them say, build it back. So I became passionate about the redevelopment and revitalization of, of Sandfield. And so I'm investing my own money, my own time, and a lot of my staff into making this come into fruition. So right now we're in the planning stage of, of building back Sandfield. And the thing that, that, made me feel so good the other night when we had that planning session and I was I was a little nervous because I hadn't seen a lot of these older people in years but as everyone came in they were hugging me and to see them actually engaged in the process sharing their ideas when we did the breakout session writing our ideas to see their uh team lead get up and present and this and the mayor said to me he said Jabbar he said, man, this is, you should be really proud of yourself. He said, they are engaged. They're loving this. And uh, I was sitting back like, yeah, they are. And uh, it made me feel good when they, they were coming up to me, hugging me, thanking me, you know, 
for starting the process because, you know, one of the old ladies said, we thought we had forgot, got forgotten about. And so that's why with my why and building something bigger than myself, you know, I've also studied Dr. King for years and years. And um, in studying Dr. King, I learned even more about compassion and love for your fellow man. And I'm the kind, I can't sit here and eat steak while somebody else sitting there starving. So if I'm going to eat steak, everybody around me going to eat steak. I just eat a smaller piece. And so for me, the rebuild and revitalization of Sandfield is uh, important to me. As a matter of fact, my office right now, I have a two-story office out, and it's in the county. And then we were looking at another spot uh, because we wanted a better presence. So we were looking at another spot closer to the industrial section of Columbus Lowndes County. But one day it hit me, if you truly want to rebuild Sandfield, you start from the inside out. So now I've decided to move my office down to Sandsfield. I'm going to headquarter all my organizations in Sandfield so that every day I can walk the streets, sit and see the people, and I can actually see the projects that they go on. All right, so why is that such a driving part of your why? Because you've obviously made a, a good bit of money. You don't have to do this. You're putting your own money into it. Is it the lessons learned from your father? Do you want to honor your father? Again, it's, it's you know, regardless of who you are, what you are, how you do it, you're only happiest when you're living in your truth. And and my truth is to always try to help my fellow man. I've always believed in in trying to help him. And in, in, in doing that, I'm honoring my father, but I'm also honoring the legacy of all of the people that came before me that, that made it possible for me to do what I do because I've had a, a lot of help along the way. You know, like I said, Jeffrey Rupp, uh, I went to Jeffrey, and when I told him that day, you know, that, Jay, I said, man, I'm out here, and I'm trying to do do it the right way. And uh, I said, but I can't get none of my people to do business with me. And Jeffrey went to the country club that evening and told him, hey, look, we got a young black man in town that's trying to do it and trying to do it the right way, and we should support him. And I, I ended up getting a few clients, and uh, oddly enough, when a few of my people came, saw a few white people coming down to my office, it, it gave me credibility, so to speak. But, you know, I can go on from Jeffrey to Will Cologne to Terry Lander, the CEO of MGM Grand, that just gave me a chance and gave me a contract out of the blue. You know, Governor Haley Barber. Uh, I can go on and on about the people that have helped me on the way, along the way. Uh, and so it's incumbent upon me, I feel, to give it back because, you know, I made a promise to God when I got out here. And that, that promise, every day I plan on honoring that promise because I told him, if he bless me, I'll bless others. And I told him, if he bring it to me, it's going to go through me. So while I keep some for myself, I'm going to share the wealth. And so that's why I do it. All right. So we've got folks here. I think many of them will want to start their own businesses. Uh, just given the stark reality of, of what it takes to persevere. And, I mean, when you went out, uh, you know, you were trying to get a bigger piece of the pie, and that's mm -hmm. threatening to some people. Yes. So <laughs> what advice do you give? Because uh, these folks are going to be out there wanting to build their own why and to make their money. So what do you tell them? Because they're going to face adversity. You got First of all, you got to decide if, if you're going to dare to be great. That's, that's the first decision that you're going to make. And uh, if you want to be great, there's always a price that comes with being great. 
There's a personal sacrifice. There's a financial sacrifice. There's a health sacrifice. Last year alone, it was so stressful for me, and I didn't I didn't realize it. But in in a year, I put on about 35, 40 pounds. You know, health wise, it, it takes its toll on you. But if you're gonna commit to it, and I tell I tell anybody that I talk to, one of the greatest business business lessons of all time for me was Muhammad Ali and George Foreman in the Battle of Zaire. And Muhammad Ali knew he was going to take on a bigger, stronger, younger, uh, badder opponent. So he had to devise a plan. And though everybody around him didn't realize what he was doing, he knew what he had planned out. And he had to commit to that plan. Because if he had made his move too soon, George Foreman would have knocked him out. And so while everybody was calling him crazy for staying on the ropes, he stayed on them ropes until he felt those licks had just a little less force behind him. And when the timing was right, that's when he attacked. So if you're going to get out here and be in business and you're going to really build a business, I don't care was a floral shop. I don't care was a daycare. I don't care what the business is. It, it can be a manufacturing company. It can be server stall, you know, multi-billion dollar business. Just know that you're going to get hit. Because if you're trying to be great, there's already somebody else great in that game. No matter what game you get in, there's somebody in it that's always great. And nobody that great that holds the crown gonna want to relinquish it. And so if they can take you out, they're gonna take you out. It's not it's not personal, it's business. I told Jeffrey I, I started my first business when I was nineteen years old. And my partner, uh my dad kept trying to give me some advice, but Dad was broke. Dad, every business you had had failed. Here's this man who was real successful down in Meridian, Mississippi, I had partnered with. And uh, Dad was asking me, was I protected? Dad, we got this. He's a good man. I'm looking at the things that he had and the success that he had. And uh, a few months later, my idea, I put everything together, I had found a client. I found out from the client that the man had turned in an alternate bid in just his name. I was devastated. When I, I went to the man office, I'm like, "What's going on?" He said, "It's business." Well, and he, but he knew what you were bidding already. Yeah, and because we, we had put it bid. together. I was going to his office. I was right. using his office, using his staff. We were putting together. So while we put submitted this bid in our joint venture name, he submitted an alternate bid in just his name, and he got the contract. And when I went to him, and and he told me, he said, "That's business." And then when I called my dad, the same person. That I ignored and, and, and took for granted when, when he was trying to tell me something. He said, you just bought a business lesson. You know, always protect yourself and just know that when somebody's out there, they got the resources and you give them your idea. It's not your idea anymore because the man with the resources, it become his idea. Uh, I remember I was working with a, a guy that we know, a mutual friend of ours, a successful black attorney in Columbus some years ago about 13 years ago, and I remember we were sitting there talking, and we were talking about this deal. And I said, well, we shouldn't. He said, we. He said, well, how much skin are you going to put in the game? And I said, well, Mr. C, you know, my ideas, I'm going to make it all happen. How much skin are you going to put in the game? And I said, well, I said, my, my, my sweat equity. He said, well, I can get sweat equity and, and good ideas anywhere. It's all about the money that you put in. So if you're going to go and you're going to look to partner with somebody, you know, you need to make sure you protect yourself. You're going to get investor. You need to make sure you, you're well protected. Um, you know, I would tell anybody, have a good attorney if you're going in with somebody with more resources than you. And if you're going in with a friend, just know that sometimes businesses will strain a friendship, it'll strain a marriage. Uh, 
business is 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 a unique creature. And so if you're going to get out there, if you're going to be in business, it's something that you really got to commit to. You got to commit to long nights. Many a nights, I probably get three hours sleep. If I take an ambient, I might can get four because I'm always thinking about the next deal. I'm always thinking about the next situation. I'm always thinking about the next issue. And uh, you just never can rest. I'm, I'm never away from my business because I hadn't got to the point where I can just truly turn it over to my president just yet and, and let him run it and me feel comfortable. And then I'm always going after the next deal. I'm always looking for the next mountain to climb. So the minute I get to one mountaintop, you know, I'm looking for the next one that's a little taller than that one. So I'm always looking for it. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's see what they got on the big board. Uh, oh, cool. Thank you. Um, advice for young people. Oh, oh man. I, think I, I you, saw that one first. I, well, yeah. Well, and <laughs> actually you've, you've given some of that. Um, but let me, let me, let me. Please. The first thing I will say for any young people of color is don't want to be a black business person. Be a business person. Don't put yourself in a box. Don't be afraid to be great and go outside your comfort zone. Like I said, many of even right now, my largest client is is out of Boston, Massachusetts, a 65 year old white lady that fired a multi-billion dollar global firm and hired my firm. You know, so whatever you do, be a great business person and not a black business person or just don't whatever you don't put yourself in that box. This is a, a really interesting question. What ins- you talked about how much your father inspired you. Mm-hmm. What inspired him? What inspired my father? A lot was the civil rights movement. But my grandmother, my grandmother, my father's father died when he was eight years old. And my grandmother refused to move a man in. So she worked. Uh, she was first female uh, employee at Johnson Tone Bigby. And she also cleaned houses for the uh, for the Robears and cooked for them in the unit time. But my my aunt told me a story back here a couple of years ago that I didn't even know about, about my grandmother's resolve. So there was a deal uh, that my grandfather did on the house. And when he died, an attorney there in Columbus was supposed to take it over. And uh, my grandmother took him to court. And the deal was... She didn't have the money to buy him out, but the county let her go to the county farm and work it off on the weekends. So she reported down to the county farm on the weekends and worked it off. And so she served as his source of inspiration. And uh, that, along with the civil rights struggles, those things motivated him. And so as a byproduct, they filtered down to me. This, this, is, uh, this is a tough question, but I'm going to ask it. Somebody wanted to know. Where'd you get your boots? <laughs> boots and watches are my thing. So uh, my my wife always complained that uh, I probably got a watch for every day of the month and a pair of boots for for every that's day not of the month. A watch, man. That's a plate. This Look is that, a. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people you're watching your shoes, and so I, I always got on a pair of boots, and they're gonna always be the. Uh, Cayman bellies or ostriches because they, they, they conform to fit your feet. You can have mine, Jeffrey, if you want. I can't, I can't, no, I look like Howdy Doody when I wear boots like that. I can't, I can't do it. Um, is there a project you've completed that you're most proud of? Ooh. 
Or if there's more than one. Yeah, yeah. Da, 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 da. You know, honestly, I can't say that there's a project that I've completed that I'm most proud of. I can say that there are some kids that I invested in that made me proud. There's a young guy who, uh, by the name of Ben Porter, who uh, was in the detention center years ago, and, and my wife and I decided to pull Ben in up under our, our wing, and Ben was the baddest child. I remember he was 10 years old when I went to talk to him, and he cursed me from kingdom to kingdom. <laughs> and uh, this little kid went on, and he... Uh, went on to graduate college and now he's a, a, a student counselor. So normally my successes are tied to people because like I said, projects come and go. For me, my team will tell you, I never really get enamored with the project. You know, I, I, I get enamored with going after the deal. And once I pass it on to my team, you know, I stop and look at it. But when I can look at a person that, that we've been able to help, then I can say, you know, now, I feel good and I feel satisfied. Well, and you're getting some recognition now. So what does it mean to you to be invited to serve as a member of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's National Environmental Justice Advisory Council, which is a mouthful, I know, but it is a, uh, it's a very important organization. Again, for me, first of all, it was humbling. First of all, let me say that. You know, any time that you get selected to represent your country, is humbling, but when you look at serving on NEJAC, because what NEJAC stands for, what their mission is, is going into setting, helping to set policy to help the underprivileged and people that have been uh, destitute and living in blighted areas and, and coming up with policies and agendas that, because our direct report is uh, the EPA administrator, Scott Pruitt, Congress, and the president. That's our direct line of report. And so, uh, like this summer, we'll be meeting, we'll have national meetings around the country. This summer, we're meeting in Boston. But anytime I'm selected, whether it be, I, I want to say, let me, let me go back, which is more important to me than being selected, that was the first time I ever got put on the board. It was the Columbus Housing Authority. The and what? The Columbus Housing, the Housing Authority. Authority. I'm sorry. And again, Columbus, for all of its, you know, a lot of people put a Band-Aid on a wound that needs stitches and don't realize that still that the wound is still there. And so for all of the friendly city talk that Columbus like to say, there's still an undertone of racism. And so I remember when I put in the application for the Columbus Housing Authority Board, it came down to a 3-3 vote. There was me and there was this rich businessman in town who... uh just so happened it was very influential, had a lot of money. And there was a young guy who was the mayor at the time, a guy by the name of Jeffrey Rupp. He broke the tie in favor of me. And Jeffrey Rupp got a lot of hate mail. He got a lot of hate voicemails. And I'll never forget what Jeffrey Rupp did. That Sunday, he wrote a full-page article on why Jabari. And for me, that will always, and since then I've been appointed to boards by two different governors. Governor Barber also served on the Business Finance Corporation and the Development Bank for the state of Mississippi, uh, appointed by Governor Bryant. Uh, I've served as chairman of the Utility Department, appointed by Mayor Robert Smith. But there is no appointment that I've ever received in my life that will mean more to me 
that will have more impact on me than the appointment that Jeffrey Rupp appointed me to the housing authority board because it would have been easy for him to side with the money and side with tradition. But he did and he didn't run from it. And so for that, that's my most important board. What about uh, you? One of the students at lunch mentioned that you had quoted several famous people that inspire you. But is there a a book or books that inspired you? I am a self-taught person. You know, I I was very inquisitive as a child. If I saw somebody doing something, I wanted to learn how you were doing it. I always wanted to learn how they did it because I wanted to be able to do it, too. So for me, uh, when I got started when I was a child, my father, before I would play any sport, he would always make me learn the rules of the game. And he would always make me read a book on whoever the greatest was at doing it. So before I could play soccer, it was Pele. Football, Walter Payton. I can't remember who my swimming or the chess guys was, but he always made me do this. And so as I got started in business, I've always wanted to read the stories of other guys that all that has come along. So for me, when I read, there were there were two books in particular besides the thousands of books I've read, but the story of Reginald Lewis, who was the first black billionaire uh, in America, uh, in his acquisition of the Beatrice Group, and uh, the story of A.G. Gaston. Uh, they called him the Black Titan over in Birmingham, Alabama, who started in the coal mine, but before he died, he was one of the most wealthiest men in America. Uh, their stories served as motivation and inspiration to me because it helped me to sort of see into the future and see some of the things that I was going to go through as I was out here and, and, and I tried to be successful uh, because many people are going to always want to put you in a box and they're always going to try to remind you where you used to be, where you came from, or they're going to try to tell you what they think you don't know. But the thing about of it is when you're teaching yourself, when you're steady learning, when you're steady growing, uh, Nobody knows at what pace you're, you're teaching yourself. Nobody knows at what pace you're learning. And for me, that was something that my dad instilled in me. I always learn the rules of the game, and I'm always going to want to read whoever the best is. I remember when I got started. When I started J5, Bill Yates is one of the most successful men in the state, businessmen in the state of Mississippi. His business is doing about $4 billion a year. And they had a uh, groundbreaking in Sanatobia, Mississippi for um, – this solar plant. And I went up to Mr. Yates and I had just literally filled out the paperwork for J5. So it, it revenue, it, it wasn't even really formed yet. But I walked up to Mr. Yates and I introduced myself and I told him, I said, Mr. Yates, one day I'm going to build, my company going to be larger than yours. <laughs> and he just looked at me and laughed. And a couple of years ago, Mr. Yates invited me to lunch and asked to buy half of my company. And I told him no. I said, because if I sell to you, I can't catch you, and I'm determined to catch you. Now, I may not catch you in your lifetime, but I'm going to catch you in mine. So <laughs> that's my mission. <laughs> so. Uh, so we've talked uh, a lot about the challenges, particularly for minorities. Mm-hmm. But you're a big believer in, in diversification across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... What is your thought on that? Why, why is diversity important to you? There, there's a business case for diversity. Uh, organizations that reflect their customer base tend to be more successful. 
And so, and they're, they're actually set up for scalability. And so if your organization is more diverse, if you're diverse as an organization, you actually can go into different regions, different sectors, and you don't have the geographic boundaries that so many others have. And, and for me, uh, one of the things that my dad taught me, going back to my dad, mm-hmm. when I got grown and I realized, we were sitting back having a talk, drinking some gin, and uh, I asked him one day, I said, Dad, you know, I turned out to be a pretty decent football player. But why didn't you let me start when I was younger, playing in the in the great what was called great white league, whatever the league was called back then? And he looked at me and said the league was all black. Because my dad, I was I was on the swim team, I was on I was on the black kid in the soccer league for about five years, and uh, he said I didn't I wasn't trying to raise you to be a football player. I was trying to raise you to be a person. And he said you weren't gonna grow up in a black world. And so I wanted you to be comfortable around whites. And that resonated with me because that did prepare me. I, I, I have been comfortable anywhere, anytime, any place. And so for me, when I look at diversity, so whether it be black, white, Asian, I got, uh, I got some Iraqi, uh, some guys from Iraq that uh, work for me up in Canada. And when I bring them down to Columbus, I, 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 I'm, uh, I'm amazed by the looks that we get when we go in J. Broussard's. Because uh, one of them literally looks like Saddam Hussein. But, you know, uh, you know, but he is my guy, a boss. He is my guy and, uh, ran a, uh, multi-million dollar company over in Iraq supporting the U.S. troops. But when we pulled out, uh, they had the U.S. hurry up and got them out. So, and, uh, I believe in the power of diversity and I, and I don't, I don't, don't stop it amongst race, even lifestyle choices. I, uh, whether it be LGBT, uh, regardless of who you are, you know, I buy into the person and I really, I love having everybody around me because when I go out, you know, I want to be reflective of, of all of our society. And I just believe in that because again, I've had many people that helped me along the way and, uh, a lot of them were whites, you know, and so it's incumbent upon you. If we're ever going to make our society better, it's incumbent upon all of us to open up our eyes and open up our, you know, expand our horizons so that uh, we can make of this world a better place and make it a new place. At the end of the day, I go back to being a student of Dr. King and the, and and Dr. King, you know, when you look at the March on Washington, you you looked out there and there was an eclectic group of uh, diversity in the crowd that a lot of people don't acknowledge, but it was there. You know, when I took my, my, my children down to walk across the bridge in Selma, you go across and you see uh, the three white civil rights workers uh, that, that died. You know, you, you have to be mindful of how you got to where you are. And the only way we're going to make this world a better place is to make it a diverse place. And so for me, that's why diversity is so important to me. Uh, I personally want to thank you all for, uh, for listening to Jabari. Uh, I think it's a unique, uh, sincere, uh, great story, and um, I'm, I'm proud of him, and, and proud he's my friend. So, thank, thank you, Jeff. Thank you for your time. If you'd like to talk with him, please, uh, by all means, come down and, and say hello. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.